0: Welcome to season two of the Get Set podcast, an old girls entertainment production. We're so excited to be here and talking to you about our experiences as three women in the TV and film industry. But today we're talking about all of our experiences, like not just as women, because today we are talking about the new SAG-AFTRA TV theatrical contract that SAG is voting on. Our vote is due by Tuesday, December 5th. And I just got this, you know, mailer in the mail that's telling me um, that the national board approved it um, 86% to 14%. And the reason why is because these are the things that are in this tentative agreement that they are asking us to vote on. Uh, More than $1 billion in new wages and benefit plan funding, a streaming success bonus, crucial AI technology guardrails, minimum compensation increases that break the so-called industry pattern raised pension and health caps that will channel more money into those plans and critical gains and protections for diverse communities background actors self-tapes nudity and simulated sex scenes just a couple of the bullet points that they highlighted on this mailer that went out and there's so much information if you want to go on the sag After website if you are a member it was probably already emailed to you um and read it word for word i highly recommend but today i have a wonderful guest with me here today acting and audition coach lilac mandelovich you heard her um talk about the importance of why we were striking why the writer's strike happened why the actor's strike happened and today um i need her help i need her help in talking to me about you know the main points that really affect her clients um, with acting and as an acting and audition coach. So, welcome, Lilac. Welcome back. Hello.
1: We're going to nerd out on some
0: contracts. <laughs> let's nerd out. Let's nerd out. So, first of all, let's get into your forte. So, this contract, this tentative agreement, goes over some um, protections uh, for actors in terms of self tapes and auditioning. So, yeah, bring us in. What's what's going on there?
1: Definitely. And just to, to preface this, of like neither of us are on a negotiating committee or anything like that. We're both SAG-AFTRA members. Right. I have pretty much since the writer's strike started been going to all the SAG meetings that are like four hours long. And Literally. trying <laughs> to... To sort of break it down in digestible bits for my clients and students so that they can feel informed so that's sort of what we're going to try to do for you guys so we're not going to cover everything we're not going to try to cover everything we couldn't (laughs) yeah (laughs) we picked a few things that we felt like were really important and so we do encourage you to to look into the other stuff so just just a little caveat to that Um, so i'd love to start with the self-tape and auditioning and casting provisions So one of the biggest problems that every actor has had with self tapes, especially is the turnaround times, right? Like same same day tapes, um, less than 24 hour turnarounds. Those have become so common just happening all the time. I know for me as a coach, I would never know what my day looked like because I would get last minute audition um, coaching requests all the time. And it'd have to be changing my schedule. And sometimes there are multiple pages too with that short amount of time. There was no limit, nothing like that. So one of the biggest gains here around auditions and self tapes is there is a 48 hour turnaround for adults, 72 hours for minors minimum. And that does not include weekends and holidays. So for example, if you get an audition on, friday evening at 6 p.m they cannot ask you to turn it in until tuesday at 6 p.m now that is the earliest that they are allowed to ask for it so um obviously they can't control how quickly your rep gives you the audition information so it might end up being more like 46 hours or whatever that happens but 48 hours should be the the minimum from the moment that casting gives your reps the information and when you need to turn in the tape so that is a huge, huge gain because it really makes life so much easier for actors to be able to plan ahead a little bit more and they don't have to sacrifice their weekends to doing all the tapes.
0: No. And I didn't even think about the, I, I just kind of focused on the 48 hours for adults. I didn't even see the 72 hours for kids. That's huge. Yes. They go to school, mm-hmm. they have activities, just, you know, planning your family life
1: too. That's, yeah. yeah.
0: That's way, that's a lot better.
1: I have a lot of clients that are, I don't work with, little, little kids I work with people like 10, 11 and and older. Um, But it is because it it had been a real big issue with those same day auditions for them. And this will make it so much easier. The next thing that you start to touch on is the page limits. So before there were no page limits whatsoever. Now it's eight pages for the first audition and 12 for second or subsequent auditions. So they have to limit it like that. So there is some protection against getting 17 page auditions in 24 hour period, which has happened to clients of mine before. So so there are some limitations there. So you're not completely doing an entire short film (laughs) in your audition. Literally. Yeah. Um, The other thing on tech, and this is something that I get questions about, constantly is like what kind of background should i have what kind of lighting should i have what kind of this um now it doesn't matter because they are not allowed to require any technical specifications the only things that they can require is that they can hear you can see you and that the background be like not distracting pretty much they can request that but they can't tell you what kind of software to use, what kind of camera to use, you know, they can't ask you to do a certain backdrop, like none of that stuff, as long as as long as they can hear you, see you, and it's not a super distracting background. Those are things that they can require. So that will take a lot of pressure off of actors to have like a professional self-tape setup or to pay a service that makes it look cinematic and and super fancy. Mm-hmm. Now that's off the table. They can't require that. So so you can do whatever works for you there's limits on slates which is fantastic the most important thing is the slate uh full body shot oh my gosh those have been the bane of all of our existences (laughs) i hate them um yes they're terrible so now they still can do them but they have to accept they are not no longer allowed to require a panning up and down and they have to accept a vertical slate shot or even a a vertical picture in in lieu of a full body shot. So it makes it so much easier for actors to get that done. And they can also have a limit on the kind of things that they can ask you in the slate. They can not ask you to, you know, tell your whole life story or do some extra things in there no nudity is allowed in any auditioning situation you have to at the very very minimum wear a bathing suit that you would wear to a public pool that is sort of the the minimum level and even if you are doing a live zoom audition for example and you need to take off whatever robe or cover you have to reveal that bathing suit level thing. They're only allowed to have that when it's, it's a minimum amount of people who are in the Zoom, only the people that absolutely have to be there. There's certain rules around that too. They're not allowed to ask you to do any sort of stunt whatsoever. Um, You know, none of that now is gonna be required. They have to ask for your consent if they're going to use the self-tape in any sort of way and store it securely. That's amazing. So I know those were less of of a concern for some people, but it's still something that we want to make sure that just doesn't get out there I
0: actually had some anxieties about that recently because you see especially like the notebook or like ET you see these auditions like resurfacing Oh, yeah. Britney Spears is the notebook audition I'm like
1: wow I've done some really shitty auditions in the past and I hope they never resurface right I hope
0: that just the good ones do yeah so, so now
1: they can, they have to get your consent before they can do anything with it oh, perfect. Can, you can sue them now if they do it and they, and they didn't <laughs> tell you and so some of the other really huge 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 things is that there's increased transparency on whether the role was cast this didn't happen very often to be fair but it did happen that an offer was out to a name while the role was being auditioned because they needed a backup and then the name accepted it and so while you were still like you still had 12 hours to submit your audition it came out in the trades that somebody had booked that role so that had happened very rarely but it happened before and so now they have to tell you when a role has been cast they don't need to volunteer that information you have to ask them but once once you ask them they need to tell you Mm. so you or your rep can reach out if there's something if you're hearing whisperings that there's an offer out for for somebody for this role you can reach out to casting ask and they should they need to make every effort to tell you so that you can decide whether it's worth your time to put that audition on tape or not Mm. Or at least if you're still
0: wanting to do the audition just so you get seen in front of this casting office for this caliber of a role, at least you could structure it if you have five auditions that come through. Like, yeah, that's not going to be your priority probably if it's
1: already cast. Just to make choices around it and, and be strategic. No memorization can be required so performance can can hold sides or use a teleprompter that's another question that especially from newer actors i would get all the times like am i allowed to hold my sides does it look bad does it look good what's the what's the rule so now nobody has to be confused about that anymore it is contractually protected that you can hold your sides whenever you want nobody's going to look down on you on that you can use a teleprompter you don't have to memorize obviously you're going to do as much as you can to be prepared for the role to do a good job. But I know some people who are fantastic at using a teleprompter or like fantastic at line lifting from the page. And so those people don't need to then work themselves to the bone to fully memorize something. They can just use the thing that works for them. So there were a lot of people who were like, this is gonna make auditions terrible or like some people will memorize and they're the ones who are gonna book. It's not, this is a bare minimum situation. Mm -hmm. This is about not getting penalized for not having everything word perfect memorized. yeah. So Because there have been auditions that I have coached personally, where it said, must be off book on the audition and- and I've had those, yeah. Yeah, and so now those are just not allowed. So you can still memorize, you do your thing, you do whatever works for you. Mm-hmm. The point is they cannot penalize you for using the sides or using a teleprompter. Or, or you just
0: take them. Lilac's audition technique class <laughs> and you <laughs> learn how to lift the p- lines off the page or and all that stuff all and that know how stuff. to do it
1: masterfully. <laughs> teach you all the things it is important to note that if they do require memorization they have to pay you for your efforts and time so Love if, it. I think that might be only for like virtual auditions I forget but but it's definitely in here somewhere mm-hmm. that they're either gonna say no to memorization or if they they absolutely must see it me- memorized they will have to give you some sort of compensation for your time and then the last and possibly most important thing for a lot of people is they now must provide in-person or virtual audition opportunities. This is probably let's face it going to be mostly virtual, for most casting offices, but like a Zoom audition situation where you can sign up for a slot and there would be somebody there, an assistant or a reader, somebody to read with you and be your reader. And then they can record the Zoom, the virtual audition, and that will be your audition tape that goes into the thing. So they have Mm -hmm. to provide that opportunity. They can't provide slots for every single person, but there's plenty of people who prefer self-taping. This is for the people who live alone, don't have a big network of actors, and then they have to pay every single time to go to a professional self-taping place Mm. or to hire a reader. Or if they don't have the money to do that, they have to use their like mom and they're a terrible reader and then their work suffers. So it's about, again, protecting the people who are really suffering financially and their quality of work because self-taping is an actual burden on them. Mm. And so this is about not having to struggle to find a reader every time. So if you're a person that like is chill with self tapes, you don't have a problem with self tapes, you have good readers, you know, I would encourage you not to take up those spots because they should be for people who either genuinely struggle, don't do their best work, struggle with self tapes or have a really hard time finding readers or having, you know, like don't have the capacity to they have to pay every single time, like 50 bucks every time they have to audition Mm and stuff like that. But you have that option. And I know quite a few clients of mine who have been in those situations who are thrilled about that. Yeah, that option. So it's going to be on a first come first serve basis, but they all must, must provide it. The last thing I want to touch on is that there are some changes to the casting websites themselves as well, because they cannot charge you. So any SAG production that's under this contract cannot charge you to see, to submit to a role, to get the sides for a role, to access information about that and to submit yourself tape. So Obviously, some things are not released on the main casting site. Some mm-hmm. things, it's it's only goes to your reps and they only get released to agents. So you don't have to pay for those anyway. But for example, Actors Access, if you don't have a year of subscription, you pay $2 per submission. Yeah. So now they can't charge those $2 for SAG contract stuff that's under this contract. Interesting. I'm wondering what the benefits of having the year subscription is going to be now. Right. Because that that was the main thing is that you got access to sites and you get unlimited submissions. Now, if you're a non-union person, there's still a lot of value in that yearly subscription because, you know, it's not going to apply to non-union productions. And obviously, it's going to start off being this contract. But I have talked to a negotiating committee member who said that the smaller SAG contracts, like, Small indie films, ultra low budgets, mm. shorts, all of those, those contracts are prenegotiated, meaning that we don't have some an entity to negotiate with. Right, SAG gets to sort of dictate the terms. So pretty much these new rules, they're just going to have to go through the low budget committee. And once they get voted up by that and the national board approves it, then it's just going to be the new rules for everything. And they're very much expecting that to happen. It's just a matter of time. I know everybody's focused on the vote right now. So probably after that, they're going to go through the process. And within a, f- a few months, it's going to apply to every SAG-AFTRA contract, aside from the ones that need to be negotiated, like commercials and video games and stuff like that. Mm. But it will apply to ev- every everything under everything that's considered like film or TV, let's say.
0: That's incredible
1: for that. Anything that's SAG, you wouldn't need to pay to submit. You wouldn't need to pay to upload a self tape. They can still charge you to upload your photos and your reel and store it on their sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't charge you with anything to do with a casting. And so they're going to have to change their business model a little bit. Some of them hugely, Yeah. Yeah. And they have a six month moratorium on disputes, meaning they're pretty much giving them a six month grace period casting offices and and the sites to adhere to these new rules but they are requesting that if actors run into anybody who's not following these new rules to report it to SAG and then SAG can sort of let them know that they're that they are not following the rules ask them to put some pressure on them to change make the changes much faster mm-hmm. and after the 6 months there will be a conciliation committee which pretty much like anybody that gets reported for going against the contract, there will be a committee that's in charge of those claims and will process it and take it into arbitration if necessary and, you know, be your, your voice. You don't need to sue anybody and you don't need to talk to anybody by yourself, which is great because you can anonymously report a production or a casting office for breaking the rules. Nobody's going to know that it's you and then the union will handle it, right? So that's that's the idea behind that. And I've seen that happen even with the, the interim agreement where a client got a like 10 page or nine page audition for the first round and it was a SAG production. And so I emailed SAG, but I think other people got there before me because the next day we got sent a new, new set of sides, and it was four pages. Oh my <laughs> so it was very yeah. much like it was very clear that that got reported and they were like, whoops, we weren't supposed to do that. But it was just they weren't used to it yet. So yeah. it's, it's going to take a little time. But as soon as somebody pointed that out, they fixed it. So that's hopefully how it's going to go. Any questions around that? No, that is
0: honestly so much. I'm I'm very excited about the no payment for casting. Hopefully it means my membership subscription will go down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's a lot of things that actors have to pay for. And, you know, we want to take away some of that financial burden for sure. So when it comes to my bread and butter, which is auditions, these rules are great. They're super helpful for the things that were the most burdensome on actors and really making auditioning feel not so much like the Wild West, there's mm-hmm. some things that that are going to be industry standard and everybody's going to know that this is the way it is. And for those of you who are not union, hopefully some of these things will trickle down and become industry standard, even for non-union productions. Not everything, obviously, but hopefully some of these things. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, and then moving on to actors
0: being, you know, comfortable on set. Mm hmm one of the things that make us feel comfortable is our image and how we look and how we're put together. So what is the hair and makeup requirement now? So
1: there's a hair and makeup equity initiative that has been hard fought for for many years and they finally got it. And it's a huge, it's like, it's about time kind of thing, but it's also been a huge fight. So it's a big deal. So this is mostly going to apply to uh, performers of color and people who had to, I I work with a lot of black actors and most of the extras I work with have to do their own hair. And sometimes even their own makeup, they always have to come like wake up two hours before somebody like Monique would have to wake up because you could come to set with Whatever, and they'll know mm-hmm. how to do your hair. And I have clients have to wake up two hours earlier, do their own hair, and then go to set. So you know, there's situations when their like call that... could be at six a.m. or four.
0: You know, like or, and with an hour drive time. Yeah, like,
1: that's insane. Exactly. So it's really unequitable situation. Yeah. And so now to protect against that, because there weren't there were a lot of places where like hair and makeup people didn't know how to fully very well do hair and makeup for people of color. So now there's a consultation, right? For principal performers, pretty much like if you audition and you get a role, so anything from a co-star up, before you go to set, they can do a Zoom or phone interview where you get to do a consultation with the hair and makeup person that's assigned to you. And you can have a conversation about what's expected, about what they're going to do, what you want, all that kind of stuff. And if you feel like that hair and makeup person doesn't have the knowledge or doesn't know how to deal with your hair and makeup, then you can request a different one and they have to buy by that. So you know what you're walking into and nobody's gonna surprise you and catch you off guard and do something to your image, your hair or your makeup that you, that you are unhappy with or something that will last for a long time and cause some damage and see commitment to work with industry partners to expand and maintain the pool of qualified hairstylists and makeup artists because a lot of people who are learning to be makeup artists and sometimes certain types of hair certain types of skin tone is not required in their training so now there's going to be more pressure from the union to expand and maintain what they have to learn to be on set so they can deal with everybody's hair and everybody's skin tones. Amazing. So that will give a lot of protections to people and save a lot of actors of color, a lot of time and energy and stress. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. The next thing I wanted to touch on is the intimacy coordinators. There was a lot of another huge gain around uh, sexual harassment prevention. And aside from what we would assume sexual harassment, one of the biggest things is requiring intimacy coordinators. So for scenes that involve nudity, simulated sex or anything that's even close to that, like heavy kissing, making right. out something like that, it doesn't have to be all the way to simulate sex. First of all, it's going to be more pressured on by the union for them to to hire an intimacy coordinator for everything. Mm -hmm. But if they're if they haven't, then the actor can request that and they have to make every effort to hire somebody. So pretty much the only excuse they can have to not hire somebody is if there's like not a single intimacy coordinator available that day in the entire area that you're shooting in. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they have to make every effort to hire somebody. There cannot be any retaliation against performers for requesting an intimacy coordinator. So this will become an industry standard with time as this becomes more and more uh, something that's practiced. So hopefully in a few years, there's not going to be any production that involves anything, if as little as kissing and anything up from that, that doesn't have an intimacy coordinator on set. Intimacy coordinators have been invaluable on so many shows. We've seen them on, like Bridgerton. Bridgerton. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> um, Or Bridgerton, where where there's something very intimate, scenes and and the actors felt really safe, and mm. it created a very good environment for everybody. It makes a huge, huge difference to have somebody there too to facilitate all of that that is neutral. And their job is to advocate for the actors because a lot of times actors feel like they can't really advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. when they're in the situation like that.
0: And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that intimacy coordinators, you know, are kind of like stunt coordinators. Like these these things are choreographed dances and there's a conversation that should be had and that does happen with them in Mm -hmm. terms of what, you know, Just like we, you know, we learn in your audition technique, there are certain physical things that if you're uncomfortable with it, the intimacy coordinator has the knowledge to convey the same message, but then in a different way. way, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That makes both parties comfortable or however many parties in the scene.
1: Yeah. And as far as for background actors, they have to be told at least 48 hours in advance. If there's going to be any sort of nudity or simulated sex, they can't just like drop it on you on the day and in casting notices ideally before you even sign up for it but at least 48 hours in advance and it will happen from the background casting agency or if you've already been hired and it's you know 48 hours before might come from the ads or whoever is responsible but they have to notify you and then you can decide whether you want to do it or not but there's not going to be any sort of retaliation if you say not for me no thank you because a lot of background actors would show up on the day and they'll be like, oh, guess what? You're going to be in a bathing suit or you're going to be, you know, this. And now they're already there. Now there's pressure to not let anybody down or be difficult and all that Mm. stuff. So now you've got 48 hours. You can think about it. You can decide. It's, you know, you have some heads up.
0: Now, one of the main issues that members wanted to be addressed in this contract is how we're compensated for streaming for when when things go on the streaming platform it becomes successful and then actors weren't properly compensated Mm -hmm.
1: so what is this new streaming bonus fund so the gist of this is that any production on a streaming platform let's say netflix that is watched by 20 percent or more of their domestic subscribers gets this bonus and that has to be within the first 90 days so within the first 90 days something goes viral something become becomes a hit at least 20% or more of the domestic subscribers watch it then that whole production every actor in that production is entitled to bonus and compensation and so there was a fight between the streamers and the union the union wanted to make that threshold a lot lower so a lot more actors would benefit from this bonus and the streamers obviously wanted to keep it a lot higher Mm -hmm. so the compromise was this fund meaning any production that reaches this threshold and gets the bonus that money goes into a fund from that fund, 75% of that goes to the actors that were on those shows, that were on those hit shows. And the other 25% is the unions to disperse to other people who were on streaming shows that didn't hit that threshold. So people who oh, wow. were excluded. And so it gives the unions some power to share in the wealth, right? So it's not just the biggest biggest earners that get some sort of bonus it could be some smaller streaming show that wouldn't have seen a a dime so the union gets to disperse some of that so it's 75 to 25 so that's the idea of the fund is was the compromise between lowering the threshold or raising the threshold for who gets this extra bonus
0: that's so good to know because just like as a supporter of you know our fellow creatives I'm gonna go ahead and watch something the first 90 days it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Just to make sure like if you're in something, I'm gonna watch it immediately. So because I want everybody to hit this this streaming bonus fund.
1: Yeah. And somebody did ask, you know, people who were had concerns about what if the streamers try to bury some of their shows for 90 days and then all of a sudden after 90 days it becomes On popular. Right, exactly. And then or or like sleeper hits kind of things. Mm-hmm. So If something's a sleeper hit, naturally, they can't do anything about it. But if there's, they have the ability, the union has the ability to like audit some of these numbers now, there's transparency about that was earned from the WGA and from SAG into the streaming numbers, like the viewership numbers. So if they see that there's an active trend of shows being sort of like nobody's watching them and then after 90 days all of a sudden they're popular day 91 it's number one (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So if something like that happens, then that would be um, Them actively trying to circumvent the contract and therefore that can go into the the union can file a claim and and have a suit So so there's some things that we can do there. There's some recourse on that if they try to circumvent the the contract amazing
0: another main one
1: AI. Right. This is
0: a biggie. Yes, it's a lot of things involved in just in all the AI things. Yeah. So, so, so- we're going to touch upon a couple of them. Again, you can go ahead and look at the contract or not go ahead. You please please look look and read the contract.
1: But we couple- can't get into everything.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the main things that we chose?
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. So First of all, AI seems to be the most divisive part of this contract. Everything Mm -hmm. else people are relatively happy with. And there's a lot of really, really genuinely great gains. This is the part that's like even the negotiating committee has said they would have loved to have more protections, but they got what they a lot of what they set out to get, which is consent and compensation were the the name of the game from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? When the process of, of the way we go into negotiations with the BTP or any negotiations is there are meetings with the membership, W&Ws, where problems and proposals get brought up and then they get whittled down by the negotiating committee and then we create a proposal package that we walk into negotiation with. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, Eliminating AI completely, or making it unusable, or dissuading the the companies from using it altogether, that was never on the table from the meetings that from when the writer strike started. So yeah. well before the actor strike, all of the meetings I've been to around AI were always the aim was always consent and compensation. Mm -hmm. And so to make it financially so it doesn't cost any less to use AI than it does to use a human actor where there's just like no financial incentive. That was always the negotiation stance. So that's what SAG, the union walked into the negotiating room hoping to achieve. There are some people who say that wasn't far enough, but that just those proposals of going further with that that wasn't part of the process that wasn't what the proposal package was so i just want people to understand that the aim was always for consent and compensation which is what we're getting in this tentative agreement right so some people might very understandably say that's not enough but i just want to explain that that was always what they were going for because that's what the membership had said previously before AI became such a thing, you know, back in January, that's what the membership said they wanted. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some technical things about the way that this stuff works.
0: Right. So once we're striking and we're in the media, and then all of a sudden people are asking for all these things that were never proposed when SAG asked its members back in the beginning of the year, hey, what are things you want for this new contract? Like those are when, you know, they were taking ideas and everything like that. Once the proposals mm-hmm. are made, that's pretty much it. Right. It's very hard. Yeah, it's. Um, You've got some
1: experience with this yeah. on negotiating committee, a different I, one. I, yeah,
0: I'm on a negotiating com- d- committee for a different union at the moment. Um, while I was also striking with SAG, so it's been a lot, and I and that is a main frustration as being a member of a different negotiating committee, not SAG, in that people are coming out of the woodworks and saying, "Oh, you're negotiating now," and I'm like, "Yeah, we've been negotiating for the past four months," and they're like, "Okay, what about this?" It's like, "Well, we." sent out a survey you had two months to do it that was never a concern that was brought to the table and now you're pissed at us for that one thing being left out when we you know that was never something that was brought to our attention Mm -hmm. and so like you said there is a process the negotiating committee is working so has worked so incredibly hard Mm -hmm. and
1: Anyways, yeah. Anyways, we're moving yeah. on. <laughs> it's not just it's not just what the union wants. There's also labor laws to contend with, and things like that. Yeah. Yes. So, so there's some rules that have to be abided by. So, just giving that caveat that consent and compensation was the goal. Yeah. So, let's start with background because those are the people that we were the most worried about. I mean, them and and voiceover, I would say, about being replaced. And so, first of all, with background. A, they got like a really huge, huge wage increase, like 11% Mm -hmm. to start, and then another 4% in July of 2024, so like 15.51% compounded in the first year, so that's something that's like huge. Yeah, because that was a main complaint on set when
0: non-union background actors were getting percentages, uh, over time that were
1: more than mm. SAG, um, background actors. So that's, yeah, yeah that is huge. So that's going to be a big thing. So let's take away the wages. Let's just talk about the AI. So the AI protections for background are going to be very similar to what, like, a, a principal performer is done where pretty much they have to give you very, says clear and conspicuous consent. It's a legal term, meaning they have to give, tell you exactly what they're going to use your, AI scan for, they can't just be like, we're going to use it in this project, or we're going to use it in perpetuity, or we're just going to use it for something. They have to give you very specific, like reasonably specific things of description of how it's going to be used yeah they can't say we're going to use you for a simulated sex scene that you never approved right exactly so every time they use you they have to get your consent and every time they use you for something else or something different or if they change what they want to use you for they got to get your consent again and at that point you could say yes or no you could negotiate for something else you can negotiate for pay you can negotiate for credit you can negotiate for something if if they really want to use you and then importantly Obviously you get paid for the day that you get scanned, but then any day that your replica, digital replica would work where you're not on set, you get paid as if you were on set. So you could be a background actor that's working on show A while your digital double is working on show B and you get paid twice for the same day. So that's something that's, that's possible. So pretty much the aim of consent and compensation, right? They have to be reasonably specific with what to tell you what they're, what they're using it for. They got to get your consent every single time they use it for anything. And they have to pay you as if the real you was there doing the job. For the same amount of time that it would have taken the real you to do the job so they can't just be like well ai did this in 10 minutes so you get paid for one hour versus like if you were on set it would have taken an eight it would have been an eight hour day they have to pay you for an eight hour day
0: which is exactly what we were talking about when you talked to us about why we were striking is we wanted to make sure that it wasn't less expensive to use ai rather than the real human being now it's not it's not going to
1: be less expensive it's going to be as far as what they pay you, it's going to be exactly the same, but then they have to pay for the machine and all the VFX people and all the AI yeah. people to like, you know, do the scan and store the scan. And it's, it's something that is very expensive to do from, I, I was watching this webinar with a VFX professional who said that's like, you know, f- five figures, you know, of, Cause it's, it's multiple VFX people right. working on this one. Yeah, and, and just getting the truck down there to scan people, that's like a five-figure rental in and of itself. Like It's a lot of money, so they're not going to do it unless they really, really need to. For example, they're going to do it for where there's a crowd scene where there's supposed to be 70,000 people. They can't all be real people, so they might need to scan some people and, and add it. Yeah. Or if they were needed 200 and only 100 showed up, and now they have to create like doubles so that, so that it looks like 200. So mm-hmm. so that's like when background doesn't show up, they would rather have real people show up, it's cheaper for them. Something
0: in regards to this, not necessarily related to the actors, but Jessica, when we were prepping for this episode, she told me, she's like, oh yeah, this is super important for PAs too. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, if they are, they're supposed to bring in 200 background actors and they only end up bringing in 50, then that cuts down on the number of pas that they need so it reduces jobs it reduces
1: hair and makeup jobs mm-hmm. and wardrobe so yeah and just- it will prompt more scanning because right. then they'll just scan the people who are there with a few different outfits mm-hmm. and then just use the same people again and again and they'll have to use the pay them as if they're there multiple times but it would just it kind of increase the times that the whole a scanning thing needs to be used mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it's really important that we protected these, this compensation and this consent.
1: Yeah, so that's for background actors. There's a similar set of protections for people who are not background people, who are, you know, auditioned, booked the job, going in. Star Wars bringing people back from the dead. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's technically something that is allowed now. There's a, the new, like, Edith Piaf movie that they're going to use AI to, to like, her stars herself in the thing. I don't know. It's it's a whole thing. So let's talk about that really quick since I got into it. So yes, they can ask, the studios can ask for consent from your next of kin or your estate after you've passed to use your likeness and scan it for AI. Obviously, if your will and testament says you don't want to do that or the people in your state know that you don't want to do that, they will be told no. However, if your are is like, I don't have a will, I don't have an ex of kin, I don't have an estate, like most of us, um, the union is creating a new kind of database. They're going to send out some sort of way where you can pretty much opt in or opt out. Um, I don't know the details of exactly how that's going to work, but pretty much you can leave your wishes regarding AI after your death with the union. And that would be legally binding. So the union can then tell them we've got their statement that they don't want this done, you can't have their scan, you know, or if you wow. say, yeah, I'm cool with it and send the money to this charity because I don't have an next kin, then again, like so you can leave your wishes regarding AI post-mortem with the union and they will, they're creating some sort of way to an easy way to let actors type that in. And in that's the incredible. Database. That's great. So just because it's possible doesn't mean you need to say yes. And there will be ways for you to protect yourself. If that's something you never want to happen, cool beans. You'll, you'll have some protection there as far as the major roles or like co-stars all the way to series regulars, movie stars, all that kind of stuff. Same thing with consent and compensation. So they, for your digital double, like anything that looks, sounds has appearance of you, that is your likeness. They have to treat that as if that's an extension of you, as far as you know, they have to get your consent for everything that it does they have to get this specific consent. So for example, if they told you we're only gonna use this in case for insurance purposes, let's say you're Tom Cruise and you're riding off of a cliff on a motorcycle five times, they might be like, just in case you died in in the motorcycle crash, we need your scan to be able to finish this movie, something like that. So if they specifically said we only want this for insurance purposes and you're still happy and, and alive and and uh healthy and kicking then if they want to use it for anything else they're going to have to come and get your consent on that specifically and then anything else on that specifically and if there's anything that changes drastically um for example if you didn't say yes to nudity now they want nudity they're gonna have to get your consent again and you can at that point negotiate around that you can say absolutely not or you can negotiate more pay you can negotiate something like that mm. so it's it's up to you at that point And then they do have to compensate you again, pay you as if you were there on the day. And there is obviously years and years of data of just like on average, how long does it take to shoot this type of scene? Mm -hmm. So they would just go off of averages. Um, Obviously, if the, the scene was actually shot and you just happened to be double booked, right? Like somebody who who was in a different country while the reshoots were happening. Um, They'll pay you as if you were there for the day and in the imaginary world of the future where everything is AI, then it would be what historically has taken a scene of this size and caliber to be shot, you'd be paid for that amount of time, Mm -hmm. pretty much as if you did the job yourself. Same thing for looping, ADR, anything for reshoots, anything like that. So if, you're, if your digital double is working, it's as if you're working and you get compensated the same way, it goes into your health and pension as well. Amazing. So, so that's good. And you, again, consent to every single usage. They can't just say, we're going to use this in perpetuity, or you're going to use this for this project in some way. They have to get specific about how they're using the, the AI in or the digital replica, because that's not technically, I mean, sort of AI, but it's digital replica is a separate thing from the generative AI. Now, some people, I have a lot of questions about, can it be a condition of employment? Meaning, can they tell you during the audition, this role requires a digital replica and you, for you to be scanned? And so if you say no, they might hire somebody else. The answer is yes, it can be a condition of employment. And a lot of people are concerned that that will feel like coercion. And I mean, it depends on you and how you feel about it. But will there be pressure on actors to say yes, yes, there will be. There are analogous situations like nudity, for example, where there is some pressure to say yes, and actors have dealt with that for a long time. Mm -hmm. But there's also plenty of people who say no. And sometimes if you say no to something like game of thrones where like it's required that the character is nude because she like goes into a fire and you know like her clothes get burned off off. (laughs) their clothes get burned off then then they will probably go with somebody else um so the union is comparing it to very similarly to to like a nudity writer where they can say okay well we need nudity for this so if you can't approve of that we're gonna go with someone else same thing here with the Mm -hmm. ai so it's not completely unprecedented the way that it's written into the contract where it can be a condition of employment. Now, the big difference is, I think, first of all, people are really anti signing away their thing. I think there's going to be a big movement of obviously there's always going to be somebody that's desperate and wants to do it and doesn't have a problem signing away their their likeness. or saying yes to AI, but I do think there's going to be quite a big movement outside of the contract of just people flat out saying no yeah and if a lot of the bigger people say no at some point they're going to have to decide: well am i going to get a recognizable face in my tv show that i need in order to get backing and to get uh, funding funding and all that kind of stuff or am i going to go with a no name who's willing to do an ai skin and then now they have to kind of weigh the thing for themselves and now the pressure is on them as well so there is that there's another element of you know is it gonna even be popular for people to watch right like there was um a story recently of of like a a music label that signed an ai musician and there was such an uproar and pushback against it that they ended up like dropping the whole thing. Mm. So there, there are elements of, of other protections coming from different spheres, which we're going to touch, touch on in a second, but the answer to conditional employment, yes, it's going to be pretty much like nudity. It can happen. However, just the caveat that I think is missed on this point is at the, if they're asking for it at the time of audition, they have to know at that time, exactly how they're gonna use it. Mm. So a situation where this might be reasonable and not that crazy is you're auditioning for this like space movie. And there's this super, super, super dangerous stunt that needs to be done. Something that cannot be done safely with a stunt person. And so they know they're gonna have to scan you in order to make that happen with like AI, CGI, something for that particular stunt. Mm -hmm. Um, You're still gonna have your stunt double but they're gonna need that particular moment or the most dangerous part to be done with AI. They can and they be doing like a tight shot of your face or your facial? I don't know, I don't know, yes, something. but but just something where where it's just like there's no way to create this without mm-hmm. AI because it's just too dangerous for the stunt person to do. Then they might have a very specific thing of like we're only gonna use it for this um but we we can't do the stunt without ai so if you say no we're gonna have to go with somebody else that might be something where people would say okay i understand i want my stunt devil to be safe and and that's the only way to do this very important scene in the movie Mm. then maybe you'd say okay i'm okay with only this use of ai for myself and and then if they want to use it for anything else outside of that particular thing they have to get your approval and at that point you might have already booked the role now they're gonna have to and they have to pay you and so if they while you after you've booked the role they they come to you afterwards and say hey we want you to do a uh, to do a scan and you say no and they decide to replace you they still have to pay you as if you did the entire thing
0: incredible so
1: so they can't really retaliate against you they can't replace you just in the sense of like we need this for the project but they but they have to pay you and they can't take any sort of like punitive measures against you for saying no love it so i do think while it's scary that it's a term the condition of employment and they can say well we want this or or you're not going to get it they do have to be specific i think that's the main at point. the audition yeah. time and they might not know what they need it for right they might not know until later that they the stunt is actually going to be too dangerous and you might have already booked the role by then so there are going to be a lot of situations where it might come up after you've already been employed they would need to know well in advance that something is going to necessitate ai and if there's enough pushback they might be like ah okay we'll just drop this ai thing because nobody's signing off on it yes. <laughs> nobody wants to audition for this thing so there could be a world like that there could be a world that everybody will just get on board and it will be mayhem and it could be that, that there's going to be a lot of pushback internally so who knows but either way it's clear and conspicuous consent and every time they change it or do something new, they have to get your consent again. And that at that point when you are hired and they've already shot half the movie with you, you've got a lot of leverage yeah. to say either no or to get some major compensation for agreeing, right? Yeah, so, to me, this is a huge win because this is what they wanted from the big. Be- this is what the Negotiating Committee wanted from the beginning again. And so, so there's a lot of people that are saying we shouldn't allow any AI at all and there's super valid concerns, genuinely valid concerns. Just want to reiterate that wasn't what was on the table to begin with. Mm-hmm. It was never about stopping AI or completely eliminating the use of AI. It was just to get that consent and compensation and making sure that it's not cheaper and faster to do AI than to just hire an actor. Mm-hmm. So it would be just as expensive, if not more expensive for them, to use ai or some sort of vfx instead of a human actor and that kind of leads us to sort of the the current state of the of the tech right you know with generative ai because this was a scan is something that looks exactly like you which is mostly like would be done with vfx and cgi right now and so if ai does become advanced enough to do those things it would just be a tool that will help and replace what cgi is doing right now so a lot of which would replace job
0: visual effects jobs which would be they
1: they people in that industry right now don't seem concerned about it because the ai is not advanced enough at least not in the next 10 years or so to do everything by itself it still requires what the expert said was it can get you like 80 percent there Mm -hmm. but it still looks very terrible and like yeah. not screen ready. And the other 20% require a ton of human hours and a ton of human experts and and VFX artists to get it to the place where it actually doesn't look like weird and disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't seem to be worried about their own jobs quite yet. Reassuring. <laughs> they, you know, they seem to think that they're gonna be needed for a long time. And so that means that AI is going to start initially to be sort of a replacement maybe for CGI, but it's going to be used the same way where it's still the actor, maybe in motion capture or like in some mm-hmm. sort of scanning situation, but they're still doing the performance. And then the AI just helps make the the world or the outfit or the dragon around them appear or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it'd be closer to what we do with CGI now, at least that's what they're saying for the next few years. So most of the experts are saying that it's not going to get to the place where it's going to replace people, anytime soon, at least, and especially not until the next negotiation, is that's what the VFX people are saying. And then as far as the generative AI, which is taking just like, you know, you type into to the thing, oh, I just want to see, uh, I'm looking at Monique, so like a redheaded, uh, you know, woman in her 30s with blue eyes pushing a stroller and it's like, show does a little video of that situation where it's, it's, it's not anybody's face. It's just like a completely randomly generated image. So that one is also kind of scary. So what's what we get in the contract around that is because there's no specific performer to tie that to nobody to be specifically compensated Mm -hmm. or get consent from there. Only the only thing they're required to do is a notify the union that they're calling it synthetic fake performers. So the synthetic fake performer is going to be used and then the union has the right to negotiate or bargain in good faith for some sort of compensation. So they're not calling it like a penalty fee, but there's still going to be some sort of price that the production has to pay, I think, to the union. This is something that I'm not clear of, like who gets this money but it's going to cost them some money to use the synthetic performers outside of what they pay to the AI people and the tech people they're going to have to pay the union something to use those people instead of a union actor so ideally there's where it's getting people are getting really nervous is there isn't very clear language. It just says you have the right to bargain and negotiate. That's it. It's all mm-hmm. like very, very vague. So the Negotiating Committee has uh, Duncan, Crabtree Island, has said that they their aim is every time that happens to make it expensive to the point where it would be cheaper to just hire a regular person. So that would be always their aim is to make it not financially incentivizing. So I fully understand that the language sounds very vague and it is a little (laughs) stressed like it it makes me a little stressed too of of, of like oh they have to let you know and then you get to like
0: maybe negotiate on, negotiate on it
1: yeah it's just all so so vague and that's where a lot of the stress and the fear is coming in around that and that's understandable the full memorandum of agreement or the moa the full contract language is going to be released at some point this coming week, it, it might've already come out by the time you guys are listening to this. Mm-hmm. So there's gonna be a little bit more information there. I do know one of the things that was said is because this is all so new and untested and we don't know exactly what kind of negotiations or what kind of situations they're gonna run into, if you have very specific language in the contract, that's sometimes not as good too, cause then they can find a way to go around the language of the contract sure. and, and have loopholes sometimes you know so if you get too specific it's not good and if you get too broad it's not good and Mm -hmm. just trying to find that sort of happy medium is what they were hoping to do with this Uh, the negotiating committee has said that they would have loved to get more protections around generative ai but because of where the because the tech is not fully there yet it might be better to add it on a future contract they were yeah they're saying well i don't know if better but that it's it's they predict that it's going to be okay to renegotiate the stuff and get more specific in two and a half years when we renegotiate the next contract. We mm-hmm. do have meetings every six months with the with the MBTP to discuss that they have to let us know what they're doing with the generative AI so that then we can start creating our own proposals way in advance so we don't mm-hmm. run into this problem that things weren't part of the proposal package to begin with. Right. So so that you could keep track of it more. But as far as the generative ai as far as the synthetic fake performers what it can do right now is about four seconds of a video that looks decent the absolute max that it can do right now is 12 seconds and that doesn't look that good and they really cannot do anything more than 12 seconds so for people who've seen these ai movies if you notice they're usually like about four around four second clips and then cut there's a lot of cuts and back and forth and it can be, it can look really cool. And there's people who look human, but the consistency part of it is what makes this the technology not there yet. Mm. Is like, you can have four second clip of something that looks real good. But then if you try to make it into a full one minute scene where you need four seconds and four seconds and four seconds, the AI is not the place where you can create consistency. So if you even put the exact same prompt in, it doesn't give you the same, Thing. It, it it looks completely different. The tone is completely different. Like they, they cannot mm. create consistency with it. And that's actually partially why it's not being used very much. They're still using mostly CGI to the, the people who have been scanned like backgrounds. There were all these stories about like, there's a truck and you got scanned and all that stuff. That's right now you're being used for CGI, not for AI. Because the AI is too inconsistent to like do things over the long time to create that consistency that everything looks the same in the shot. Mm. So at some point it's gonna come in and, and maybe replace CGI, but it, but right now, all those uh, digital replicas are actually CGI, not AI. So will the time expand and and they will be able to do a full 20 minute short all from, from AI and it will be consistent, and it'll be beautiful? Yeah, like at some, at some point that's gonna happen, but, the experts in the field are assuming this is one of those things like nobody can know for sure because this is all happening exponentially and that's where the fear is coming from which is like like again i feel it too is that we don't know for sure but a lot of the experts in the field are saying it's not going to be the next two and a half years so it's just not going to be there so for a lot of the vfx and ai experts that i heard speak on this had said it's the next contract that's going to really matter on AI right now, you're just laying down the groundwork right. and then you get to do the real specific stuff. Then that's when you're going to need those protections. Cause that's when you're you'll know what you're actually dealing with and how it's being used
0: once the technology progresses a little more
1: yeah so last thing i want to say on this to just give a bit perspective obviously not telling anybody how to vote or anything I'm i'm just repeating things from experts that i've heard said and what's been said by the negotiating committee but something that i feel like gets lost in transition a little bit is that we feel like the contract needs to be the only thing that protects us and it can't be especially with generative ai our contract is with the studios the studios are not the same companies that creating the generative ai they're the ones scanning the cgi digital replicas we have a lot more protections around that right but the, the generative ai that's a whole other company that the studios would hire to come in so there's only so much a contract between a and b parties can dictate what company c does right So there's some limitations to the contract, even if we get all the language we wanted, if, if the, if AMP TV was like, take whatever you want, (laughs) we would still have loopholes There would still be problems because we can't control what the GAI companies do. So that will have to require legal protection and and legislative protection so there are some laws that are in the process of being passed that sag is is pushing for like the no fakes act there's bipartisan support for it so we're hoping that by the time that we have our next contract negotiation there might be something on the books there are copyright laws that are going through the sort of ai gauntlet right now of like what is copyrightable what isn't copyrightable and that's something that's really important because again the companies just want to make money. Mm -hmm. And if their stuff is not copyrightable, they cannot make money off of it. So, you know, if you have a whole AI movie, right now, you can't copyright that. So those laws and how that goes through the legal system is going to have a big impact. And then lastly, aside from those things outside is like I touched on a little bit earlier is public opinion. It could be that an AI generated movie will be kind of cool and, and like a novelty and then it will wear off or there could be a whole backlash to it. Like there was with the musician AI mm-hmm. thing where they wanted nothing. Nobody wanted anything to do with it and it crashed and burned. Right. So I'm not saying that that's a hundred percent what's going to happen. People are always drawn to novelty, but for a period of time and then it wears off. So part of our work, outside of this contract after we vote, whichever way we vote is to really, really lean in and do a lot of advocacy around these laws and legislative solutions that are being passed around AI to make sure to educate the general public so that when the first AI thing happens, if it's something that is egregious or goes against our contract, that we can marshal some popular support from the public to, to press against it. All those things are going to be just as important uh, as the contract. The contract is just like the first, concrete thing that we have and so it feels like this is the only protection we have we're holding on to it for dear life hopefully it's not going to be the only thing because it can't be the only thing we just don't have one union doesn't have enough power to deal with this like huge wave of technology right the last question i keep getting is why did the netcom say yes to this contract with the ai protections being lacking and this is my own slight conjecture, some things that I've heard from negotiating committee members that I, that I know personally. Um, first of all, we talked about with like, they did get most of what was requested of them initially because mm-hmm. they said consent and compensation and that's sort of what we got. So they were felt like they got what the membership told them initially that they wanted. Number two is, again, what we said about where the technology is, how expensive it is. It is incredibly expensive right now to do all the stuff with the technology. Um, And it takes a long time and a lot of man hours. It's cheaper, faster, and looks better for them to hire real people right now. And from what experts in the field are saying, the two and a half years from now, it's not going to be that much different. It's not going to be to the point where we're replaced. So there will be time to build on this contract in two and a half years. So they feel like this is good enough for now to keep us safe for the next two and a half years. And then the final thing is that they feel like they can't get anything else off of the AMBTP, that it's just gonna be impossible to get them to budge anymore. So those three things together led to that yes vote. Now that might not be enough for some people and I understand that, I understand this is scary. i just trying to explain that nobody is selling you out and this was a very hard vote for everybody and something they really needed to take into consideration. I've seen a lot of negotiating members talk and say like how much they have set and thought about all of these things for months and months and and really taking the vote seriously and all of those factors went into feeling like okay i can say yes to this because it's it's sort of a stopgap until the next one mm-hmm. nobody knows what's going to happen exactly you know because we don't know where this technology is going to go and how fast it could be that it gets crazy within a year it could be that it takes 10 years we we, we don't know and we want to be prepared but we can only make our best educated guesses at this point. So what happens if the membership votes no on this contract? Okay. So first, just to, to make it clear that unlike the strike authorization vote, this vote just needs to be 50% plus one. Mm. So we just need one more vote one way or the other than 50% and that's what wins. So 50% plus one. Yes. It gets ratified, that's the contract until the next negotiation in 2026. If it's 50% minus one or like 50% plus one, no, or any any more than that. This is first of all, it's never happened in <laughs> the history of our of our union. Um, so it's happened to other unions, not in our industry, but in our industry, it's, it's never happened. So there's a little bit of like um, you know, untested territory. But if we get 50% or more, no. What happens is that number one, the tentative agreement, which is everything we've talked about so far, that is now in effect. So any, after the strike was over, actors are going back to work on this tentative agreement, this would cease to exist because it's been voted down. So automatically we go back to working under the 2020 contract, which is the contract without any protections for AI without the raises, without anything. So just automatically go back to working on 2020 contract. At that point, negotiating committee and the national board will have to do votes and go through the process of starting a strike up again. So it won't happen automatically. Obviously we would love for it to be that we say no and the AMPTP goes, okay, fine, let's go back to the table, let's negotiate this, but the AMPTP would love nothing more than to work under the 2020 contract forever they love that contract they wish they could stay with it so there is no incentive for them to go back to the table unless we go back on strike so it's almost guaranteed that we will have to go back on strike because otherwise they'll just be like all right let's just work on our 2020 contract so once we go back on strike first of all who knows when they'll agree to go back to the negotiating table because there are certain seasonal and cyclical elements of financial incentives for the studios of when they feel the pressure from their shareholders and the fiscal quarter and the season the movies that they don't get to release in other times of the year later where they feel like okay we really need to make a deal now and that happened this time around both with WGA and SAG right it was Mm -hmm. the writers first because the writers needed to go back to work and then they kind of dragged SAG along but only until the, the scripts were done and then they needed the actors to come to work and then they buckled. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not gospel, right? Like I don't know the future, but from the experts that I'm hearing is that fiscally, there won't be as much pressure on the AMPTP to negotiate again in good faith until like March. So it could happen sooner, 100%. But as far as the the kind of leverage we had right now in November, Mm -hmm. we're not going to have that level of of pressure for them until about March. So they could come back to the table sooner. They could not. But when they come back to the table, there is no legal obligation to pick up where we left off. We pretty much start from scratch. So now... Everybody was there in the room. They know what they agreed to previously. They could, for the sake of time, be like, okay, we know we, we agreed on this, this, and this. We can just bring that back. Let's just talk about AI. They could do that, but that would depend on the kind of leverage that the union has at that point, the internal support and morale and solidarity, solidarity from other unions and other industry members that have been supporting us nonstop so far. Like solidarity has been very, very high from all the other below the line and, and crew and Teamsters and IATSE. And you know, if that stays, we might have more leverage, but if that starts to ebb away and they start getting frustrated, might not have as much leverage. Mm-hmm. And also public support and public pressure on them. So all of those things are, are going to affect the leverage we have at that point, as well as how big the no vote is. And I'll touch on that in a second. So at that point, when they go back to the table, they're not obligated to start pick up where we left off. We could end up with the same deal. We could end up with a better deal. We can end up with a worse deal. All of those are on the table. All of those are possibilities. And that would depend purely on the leverage that we have at that moment. And where I want to touch on, on the amount of no votes. So to me, the nightmare scenario is like 51% no. Because then the studios just go, all right, that's like, what, 50, 100 people that need to vote that need to vote yes on whatever. We'll just wait them out. That's such a small amount of people, and we just need to get them desperate enough to vote yes on whatever we put in front of them. And three or four months of more strike might just do that. So that's the situation where I see where we would end up with a worse contract is if it's like a teeny, teeny, tiny no vote, like tiny 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 that's where our leverage really goes away if if the no vote is like 95% then there's going to be some pressure and momentum on the studios to like do something but if they feel like they don't really need to do much. They can maybe even take stuff off the table and that 1% is going to buckle anyway, then I don't know about that, that leverage of what we end up with. So there's no fear mongering here. I'm not saying like it will definitely be worse. It will definitely be better. It will be whatever. I just want everybody to be very realistic of the possibilities. It could be the same. It could be better. It could be worse. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the leverage that we have at that point. And the leverage is not guaranteed, so we need to just take that into account of what what we really think, how it's going to go. And at that point, we're going to have to deal with what comes. So we just have to to take that into account. I don't think some people are being like, we'll get nothing of what we gain. I don't think that's going to happen, but I just don't know that for sure we'll get everything of what we gained. But it, as, you know, something that
0: we learned through this strike, like it is a timely process. So if mm-hmm. we, and and the fact that, like you said, there's n- nothing legally binding that would put us back to this tentative agreement that they right. would have to say yes to if we have to start from scratch again, which is right. what would happen if it was
1: more than 50% no. Yeah. So for example, if there's something that the studios are right now, like, ah, oh, we really shouldn't have given them that. We really regret that, but it's too late. If we say no and we go back to negotiations, they can be like, whoop, take that back. Right. Again, people should vote whatever they think is right. I just want everybody to be realistic about the consequences because if people are like, you know what, I I feel so strongly about AI protections that I'm willing to go on strike for four more months and I understand the consequences and I still feel like that's the right thing to do. Great. Then, then vote no. Then that's, that's your thing. I just worry about the people who think that they'll vote no. And then in two weeks, we'll go back to the negotiating table because that is not going to happen. No. (laughs) So I just want people to vote with their eyes wide open. So know what you're signing up for and just know, just decide if that's what you're actually willing to risk or willing to do and if it is great if it's not then consider your options you know
0: and at the end of the day like you said unity is key so the yes. whole reason why labor unions thrive is is power in numbers and power in support and power mm-hmm. in solidarity yeah so as we are learning mm-hmm. as we are taking in opinions from our different members from, like you said, at, you go to the source, you go to experts in the field, you've been in the you know the membership meeting with the negotiating committee, which is why I went to you for this episode because I know you're knowledgeable mm-hmm. and I know you go straight to the source when there's information that you want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, as with anything, as we're learning and, and collecting and gathering information, it's so important that we are respectful of each other in the way that we speak. Mm-hmm. When we disagree, that we disagree respectfully I I mean yeah respectfully and professionally I mean if anything you know for your career like bare minimum like these are people that maybe you know you could be working with but also Mm -hmm. these are just uh, human beings on the other side of Instagram and email and you know most people are already in a vulnerable state by you know just with everything that is going on and so being cruel to each other just is gonna go nowhere.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of divisiveness this week, specifically since the information about the the contract has come out. And it's just really unnecessary, honestly. I mean, we can disagree respectfully. I. Totally understand people who are like, I'm voting no, I also totally understand people who are, who are saying they're voting yes. And as long as that's respectful, I've been in these meetings where people would come up to the negotiating community and say, I appreciate you. I see how hard you've worked. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for all your hard work. And I still don't know if I can vote yes for this contract. Those people I have immense respect for like, great. You can disagree respectfully. What I don't want to see is just this animosity and tribalism that's happening. That that is just like, yes, we're all on the same team." I know that we yes. spent months being like, uh, "We're on the right, we're on the opposite side from the studios. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys." And now it feels like it's sort of turned on each other. But just remember, at the end of the day, every single person in this union cares about and worries about the same things that you do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So th- we might just have different ideas of what's the best way to get to the protections that we need, but everybody wants those protections. Everybody's yes. career is on the line. Everybody's in the same boat. So we might not see eye to eye on how to get there, but the goal is for everybody is the same. For the staff of the union and especially for the negotiating committee you know i know personally some people on the negotiating committee they have been volunteering for free their time for months working like around the clock on holidays and weekends in this negotiating committee just you know the sacrifice that they've given they don't deserve any vitriol or or animosity you know they are just trying their best they're voting for the the way that they think is the best for the union and you can disagree with their with their analysis of the situation but everybody's hearts are in the right place everybody Mm -hmm. wants this to succeed everybody wants the union to be protected and for actors to be protected. So I just want everybody to keep that in mind, that even if you are anxious and afraid and angry right now, making sure that we direct that at the right places. You know, we are not each other's enemies. We can disagree respectfully. And then hopefully however the vote lands, we can continue in solidarity because like we said, the contract in two and a half years, whether we vote yes or no, the contract in two and a half years are, is going to be the one where AI really comes to a head. Mm-hmm. So we need to keep the solidarity going for the long haul.
0: Yeah, just like we've been saying for our individual careers, it's not a sprint. It's you know, this is marathon. Not, <laughs> marathon. Yeah, it's a marathon, <laughs> not a sprint. And so that goes with you know, working together and supporting each other and standing, uh, standing with each other for mm-hmm. for the long haul. Yep. So thank you so much. Hopefully this was helpful. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely helpful for me. I'm gonna go vote this weekend. If you have any other questions, Lilac can be reached um, on Instagram. You can message her at Lilac. I would also just suggest that you go to her page anyways because we always post amazing audition tips but you also throughout this whole process you've been posting okay i've got a question about this here's some transparency here i've got another question about this so you're very good at updating people when, when they do ask you questions so i appreciate that a lot well thanks
1: for having me yeah of course we'll have
0: her back you'll hear from her very soon hello are you still there okay great so there's something we wanted to tell you we have a patreon that we definitely think that you should Hop on over and go check out for as little as a dollar a month. You are a member of our crew and you have access to cheat sheets, budgeting templates, monthly updates, and more. So go visit us over at patreon.com oldgirlsentertainment. There's a link below. You're
1: going to love it. Thanks.